Thanks, Mia. Good morning again. Briefly, I'll just uh, add a couple of things to, to remind you as we, as we transition here. But uh, as Mia said, December 23rd in this space, no corporate gathering, Sunday the 25th. And then we will be back up here meeting uh, for our normal corporate worship time on Sunday, January 1st, to clarify that. Uh, just thought that that would be helpful to make note of. Also, uh, I talked to Mariah while Mia was giving the announcements, but if you still would like to donate winter clothes or jackets, um, the box is over there right now. You can see it. It's going to be there again next Sunday. We said we were going to stop this Sunday, but we're going to add one more Sunday. So hit your Cyber Monday deals, Black Friday deals, all that jazz. They've all kind of just basically quit caring about a day and have just gone for like nine days at a time. So you can still get them through Monday, but uh, bring those in and uh, contribute to that box. So it's winter clothes, new or gently used, jackets specifically, and then warm kind of, you know, shackets and things of that nature after that, uh, fleece, pullovers, stuff that people can wear in the wintertime. You guys live in Birmingham. You know what you need in the winter. Bring that stuff. Um, and so we're going to extend that one more week to just try to collect a little bit more. Uh, so I wanted to make you aware of that. And then lastly... Well, this was casually mentioned at the start, but there are some candles in the back uh, that look a lot like these candles up here. If you would like to have an Advent wreath at home um, and you would like to light the candles Monday through Saturday at your house with your family, the booklets that Anna talked about at the beginning that were, are available for families, those are specifically designed for families. There's prayers, scripture readings, adults. Feel free to grab those even if you don't have kids. Uh, it's still really good, and there are like 1.2 million other resources on uh, if you just Google it, and most of them are going to generally be doing similar things. But uh, we encourage you to uh, continue to practice and find yourself in the midst, in this like rhythm of Advent as we long and as we wait and as we expect, because um, that is the season we're in and, and where we're going and what our series is, and I would encourage you to learn what it means to practice that as a family. Uh, and there's this tension, right, between what we find ourselves like kind of societally and culturally. We're having a classy Christmas cocktail party, you know, like that, that we're going to still celebrate and do these things. There's going to end up being Christmas trees in the space before the Christmas service. Some high liturgy people would be like, no, you don't bring any Christmas, you know. But there's this thing, there's this tension. And what I would just encourage you is to learn in your own way of kind of what it means to practice and to wait. Something that we've started doing in our house we like to decorate and go get our tree right after Thanksgiving. But we've started like, we don't decorate all at once. We kind of decorate throughout the, the time of Advent. And then we leave it up and kind of leave it decorated through the 12 days of Christmas. Um, if you're familiar with that, the 25th through January 6th. And so that's something that like, it's just a little way you can kind of do these things where you subtly kind of like build anticipation, build these moments and remind yourself of the tension and that's a lot of what we're talking about, and, and we'll talk about these next four weeks, and it's really pretty connected to our last series. I mean, in a lot of ways, the last five weeks that we've been in have been an Advent series. And we talked about that last week, and we talked about it amongst our preaching team as we planned and as we thought through this. We talked about how the difficulty of kind of juxtaposing or, or budding these two series, they're not juxtaposed per se, they're really continuations of each other, to put them next to each other. <clears throat> in many ways, is to kind of sit in an Advent-like season for an extended amount of time. 
to acknowledge and, and name the grief, the trauma, the pain, the suffering, to acknowledge and to name the ways that we live with these things and know and sense and feel in our bones that things aren't right. That things are off, that we need more, that we need something else. And we talked about that with that, the, the, one of the ways of grieving and, and to sorrow well is to acknowledge and to name that there is something else that, like, you know the goodness of God. Angry when, and when it's not the way that it's supposed to be and when somebody experiences something that they shouldn't have experienced and you're angry when somebody, you see something and just see the way that people are oppressed, when people don't get dealt fair hands and, and the things happen to them that shouldn't happen, when children have to experience things that they shouldn't have to experience, when adults have to suffer or go through things that they shouldn't have to go through, we find ourselves going, this isn't the way that it's supposed to be. And I think all of humanity senses that. I think it's why it's so easy to get frustrated when the church fails, when you hear of another moral failure, another abuse of power in the church, because in all of life, we know that that's not the way that humanity is supposed to function. We, there's this thing in us that's kind of innate and natural. You don't have to be taught that, to kind of go like, that's not the way this is supposed to be. And even more so when you have a taste of it. When you know who Jesus is and you go, that's really, really not the way it's supposed to be. And I think it's why we're so angry about it. And it's a righteous anger. And Advent invites us into this season to name and acknowledge that. And that's what we've kind of been doing. But, so what we're going to do is continue in this idea. This, our last series, we kind of played on this idea of the beauty behind, and we discussed different topics. And remember, we, we clarified. We did not say the trauma itself was beautiful. We would never want to make that statement. That's not true. The trauma itself is painful and it's sorrowful. But what we believe as Christians is that Christ will bring beauty from ashes, that he will take what is broken, he will take what is ugly, and he will make it beautiful. That there's this way in which he will redeem all things and that everything matters and that we're moving towards something. And in this, if, if Advent were to be connected of that, you, you could think of this next season here at Mosaic as like the beauty behind this barrenness that is Advent season. As we were driving back from Indiana, Anna and I laughed like, once you got about 40 minutes south of Nashville, like the trees kind of came back and it was kind of like startling because if you've ever been to the Midwest in the winter, it's just barren and brown. Like this just, and it's flat too. So like you really just, you get a sense of how barren and brown it really is. If you've ever flown into like Indianapolis in January, you just look out the window and you're like, God, people live here? I was one of them. And uh, yeah, people do live there. And it, you don't think about it until you come down here and you're like, oh, it's green all year round. That's weird. There's hills, like, you just can't see for miles, but the sunsets, they're the best in the Midwest. So anyways, we're seeing all this, and, and we started talking about the trees, and I tried, the boys were doing the things that kids do. I didn't know that it would happen at three and five, that they already start yelling at each other for crossing the line and touching each other, like, in a car, like that. I was like, I thought this was, like, an older thing. No, it happens quick. They can barely get to each other in their car seats, too. It's amazing. But they were fighting, and I was like, hey, guys, look at the trees. And Jameson goes, yeah, Dad, they're naked. And Judah said, trees can't be naked. And I said, it's called anthropomorphism, Judah. Can you say it with me? And I made him say it, and it was really cute. And so, so 
though, we sense and get this idea that around us, nature is naked. It's vulnerable in the winter. It's barren. And in that barrenness, things are exposed. And then me and the boys started talking about how cool that is, that like, it looks like they're dying, but they're actually really healthy. That it's a natural, cyclical thing that needs to happen. And that in the winter, natural pruning occurs because there's no leaves and th it's drier and the limbs fall off. You'll notice this. And when the leaves fall, things go with it. But it would be unhealthy and wrong if trees that were supposed to drop their leaves didn't drop their leaves. There would be something wrong if they had them all the time. And I was talking to the boys and I was saying, this is kind of what Advent season is. We find ourselves celebrating and cyclically as a church and as a people and as a community saying, this is natural to acknowledge and to name that there are seasons in which we feel like we are dying. We feel like we are exposed and naked. We are not clothed in the splendor and the beauty of spring and summer. But we are exposed and vulnerable in the barrenness of winter. And yet what we know is that there is a beauty in that, that it is supposed to happen, and that that is a way in which life is allowed and able to like, prosper and to grow. And it happens again and again, and we're naming and acknowledging that we're going to mark this. And, and I think what is especially important in Advent as we transition from our series, for five weeks we really spent a lot of time talking about and focusing on like sort of what it means to name your own story, to look back and to, and to begin to actually be honest about your own story, to confront your own griefs and your own traumas. And we talked about how actually that's really, really difficult because the person that we lie to the most is not anyone that we can see unless we're looking into a mirror. The person we lie to the most is ourselves. The person that we have like, uh, misunderstood the most is ourselves. And a lot of times it's coping mechanisms and it's this and it's that. And we get it. But you have, to like, you have to go back and confront. And we talked a lot about the individualness of it. In Advent, what we're going to try and do is attempt to pull out from the individuality of grief and trauma and look kind of at this universal component. Advent season is a great time that even if you yourself aren't in the midst of grief and trauma, that you mark and name the systemic injustice that we see all around us the racial inequality that still exists in our city and in our state. We mark and we name the poverty and the inequalities that exist globally, the things that are going on in Haiti right now. I mean, just a two-mile flight from Miami, and they're living in complete, like, just destitution right now. Like, I mean, it's awful what's going on there. And we say, like, Lord, come and be among us. Even if I'm not experiencing it, even if I'm not in the midst of it, we mark these seasons to say that we understand globally and universally there are those that are experiencing it. And so it moves us from these realities of one thing that is true to something else that is true. Because I think it, the temptation is in a series like Grief and Trauma and Individuality, it's really easy to kind of just stay there. These are my problems, and so what am I to do? What can I, how can I kind of contribute anything? Like, I'm so broken, I'm so messed up, and kind of to just turn inward and, and just kind of navel-gaze, as they say, to look upon ourselves and to not ever bring up our heads and to look around. And then I think it's also really easy. These series go well together because it's also really easy to just focus constantly on all the problems out there 
and never actually name the problems in here. And they go hand in hand, so much of it. And so much of the fixing the problems out there, they feel big and they feel huge. And you go, like, what am I to do? There's nothing I can contribute. And you can go, well, I can start by working on the things in me. And I can find that, and I can name it, and I can confront it, and and realize the pain and the suffering that's in me, that that's in the world, and it comes from somewhere. And we can find Jesus in the midst of it, and we can hold on to it. And what we want to say in Advent season is that we carry that with us. We carry that Jesus that we find in the midst of our own suffering and turmoil with us into those places. We start small, and we move out. Advent is a reminder that the fix and that the solution is not instantaneous and overnight, but that it is a process and that it is something that we wait for, long for in prayer and in worship and by doing these types of works where we look in and out at the same time and we move back and forth and that we stay active and connective and participating in what God would long. And we attune our hearts in a season like this and our minds to what God would have for the world and creation around us. And so we move into this waiting season. And we talk about the Advent, is, and Anna mentioned this in the intro, that there's this idea that we're really between two Advents. The Advent season marks two things. It marks that Christ has come and that he will come again. It marks that we live in the middle of this tension, and I loved that line where it talked about how time and Advent is really kind of like outside of it. It's metaphysical in some sense, what we celebrate in this moment. There's a movement of Advent that sort of, you know, would make Christopher Nolan proud. That there's this idea that we are in this space where it's the once, as Fleming Rutledge would call it, the once and future coming of Jesus Christ. That it happened, and we have faith and hope and trust and joy and peace and comfort and goodness in that, that the kingdom has been announced and that it is at hand. And simultaneously, we long and desire and wait for what is to be and what can be even more fully. And what I want to contend with you this morning and what we will contend with you over the next four weeks is that as we celebrate this and we think of these two things in tension, that what we are capable of doing is that we, in our own understanding and in our own work and in our own pursuit of who Jesus is, we actually begin to take on Christ. And we become an experience of his advent that was and his little advents that happen again and again. And when he encounters you in places like this of worship and early morning devotions and car drives and sunsets, when you experience the nearness of God, that it transforms and changes you in such a way that you are able then to be that for someone else. All of the things we talk about with grief and trauma and healing and being a community that can embrace it and name it and and encounter that, it means nothing if it's only for us, but it means something different when you carry that into a community, a neighborhood, a city with you, and you're willing and you're able to be that for others so that others might not just be healed and whole. It's not just trying to make sure Maslow's hierarchy of needs are all met and filled, but we are trying to enable and to usher in the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. 
And these little advents are able to take place again and again as we become a people that function and operate in a different kind of way. We have to come back to it again and again. And we only can sort of stay in that ability to return to it again and again if we keep in mind what is to come. If all we focus on is simply what is, then rightly so, we will become disillusioned, frustrated, and exhausted. But the second, I don't know how many points I've made at this point, but one of the other big parts of Advent, we'll just say that, is that we have to hold in mind what is to come. This thing that will happen that we do not experience in full, that we, we do taste and see that the Lord is good for sure. Here in the land of the living, we declare it with the psalmist that we will experience the goodness of the Lord here and now. And yet with all of creation, we groan and we wait with internal expectation that there is more to this, that something else is to be. And we believe and we trust in the promises that that is to come still. We confess it every Sunday morning. We believe that Christ will come again to judge the living and the dead and that his kingdom will have. There is a return. There is a fullness that we cannot yet fully participate in. And Advent is a season and a reminder for us to hold on to that with hope, to hold on to that with expectation. And we do so by remembering us and trusting from that in the experiences of God and his story and his history that what he says to come will happen and take place. And we hold those two things in tension and we live as Advent people. And so that's what Paul's talking about in Romans. As he's writing in Romans 13, 11 through 14. He's saying to them, wake up. Be active. Be present. Be aware of what is happening among you. This is not something that you can passively engage in. This once and future coming of Jesus is something that you have to be participatory. You have to be active. There's a role for you to play. You cannot slumber or sleep through this. But to see it, to feel it, to experience, to know it, to taste it, to enjoy it, is to engage it, to participate. And so he's inviting them to wake up and to experience that the kingdom of God is near, that it is at hand as Jesus proclaimed. That it is something that we can reach out that we can walk into, that we can experience, and yet he is saying that there is something else that is coming. There is something else that is more, that is not what is just on this short side, but is on the far side of eternity. And we must trust and rest in that in such a way that he is ultimately going to say that our lives have to take a different type of shape and form than the lives in the world around us. And Advent forces us to recognize that. Advent forces us to see that, that we as Christians do not function and operate on the same set of standards or calendars or rhythms as the world around us. But Christ forces us by his magnitudinous, if you will, his goodness, his beauty, his overwhelming eternity and weight and glory to be something different than what we were before we encountered him. So he says to them, wake up for your time is near. 
But we acknowledge in a season like this and, and where we've just come from, it doesn't always feel near. As the preaching team was in the conference room back there and we were planning and talking about this series, this is one of the things we talked about in this passage specifically. Is for those of us that have been following Jesus for a really long time, for so many of us, an Advent season can be sort of frustrating. It can be confounding. It can kind of cause us to go, I know Paul says that it's near, but it doesn't feel near. Some of the same pains and hurts and griefs, they do not just go away. Some of the difficulties, the, the things that I struggle with, the moments where I go, am I ever going to really change? If you've ever struggled with addiction of any kind, if you've struggled with mental health, you know this pain well. You know what it feels like to have really good seasons and then to go back and be like, man, I thought this time was different. I thought I'd gotten past this. I thought I'd moved on. Am I actually any nearer to becoming what Christ has promised me that I would be? We know this. We experience it. And I think it's a natural question. And, and think about it for Paul. Paul's writing in Romans 13, and he would have totally thought that you and I would not be sitting here today in this kind of way. It is not disingenuous to the text to assume that Paul would have never imagined that Christ had not returned yet. He totally thought he had, or would have. I think Paul really thought that it was going to be immediate. And I take comfort in that. That this thing that the church holds to is authoritative and good, and promising to us to carry with us, to guide and shape us, he got a, like, he, he thought that this wasn't the way it would be. And so for us, it's natural then when we find ourselves in a moment to go like, I really thought this pain would be over by now. I really thought this thing that I would have moved past it by now. And he says, so did I. And yet here we are. But it doesn't change that Christ is as good as he says he is. It doesn't change that he's still doing something among us. And what Paul is saying to the Roman church is that in this, every day that you wake up, and this is what we kind of talked about, that for all the mystery and wonder of it that we want to leave, we don't want to explain it all away, we want to acknowledge the tension of it, we also acknowledge it in just kind of a really practical sense that every day you wake up and meet and like find Christ in your life, you are closer to becoming who Christ intended you to be. And there's a real grace in that. As you struggle, as, as you long, as you wait for what it is that you feel like Christ has promised you, that God has promised you, you know that there's something in it that every day you're being shaped and formed more and more into that. And in a, just a practical way that every day you're closer to what Christ intends to do. And I think there's a gift and an encouragement in that. And so if that is true, he says, the night is nearly over. Wake up. Live a lifestyle of action. And more importantly, live with intentionality and purpose. And an intentionality and a purpose in such a way that you can live and your actions can be exposed and there is no shame or there is no need for you to hide what you're doing. I think this is what Paul's saying in Romans 13 right here when he's making this juxtaposition of night and day, when he's saying live as though we are in the daytime. Live in such a way that you are aware of what you're doing. Many of us know this experience well. It's why we end up watching Netflix or whatever streaming service you want to watch too late into the night. There is a structure and a rhythm and an intentionality into your day. 
And when that gets awry, especially for those of us that have brains like mine, you end up finding yourself like you, if you don't have that structure, you don't have that intentionality, the day oftentimes feels wasted. Paul's saying live with a purpose, a way in which you are focused, that you are going to live with intentionality, not in the way that you would live at night, where you just kind of do what you want to do when you want to do it, and you end up finding yourself wasting the evening, and you're like, I was totally going to go to bed early. I was going to get a week off from work. Don't live like on vacation. Live like you're on mission. Live like you're, you're doing something. We know that feeling that we were going to do all these things on our long weekend, and it's Monday night, and nothing happened, and we didn't do any of them. We were going to rest and get more sleep. And at the end of the five days we had off for Thanksgiving or however much you had off this week, you find yourself maybe just as exhausted and tired as before it started because you just you never had a schedule, you never had a rhythm, you never had a routine, there was no intentionality. And you gave yourself over to whatever it was that you wanted to do, you participated in it, and just kind of like, yeah, whatever, let's stay up, let's do that, let's eat that, let's go there. And the things that you long for and wanted don't happen. And Paul's saying, do not do this as believers. Know where we are going. There is an end goal here that all of creation is moving towards, and you are a part of it. There's work to be done. There's a task set before us, and so participate in it. Be awake. Be honest. And the day, it reveals this. And I think this is a beautiful thing that we would live in such a way in church as believers and followers of Christ. That as we take on Christ and our life is formed more like his, we do not have to hide in the night. We do not have to cover ourselves up, but there is a way in which we can live and act in vulnerability in the light, in the day. We can function and move in such a way that the things that we are doing, they are things that we are maybe even not proud of. But we can do so and know that we are doing the work that Christ has called us to, that we are becoming the people that Christ has called us to become. He's saying, stand boldly and do these things. Be awake, alert, intentional, and do not be ashamed of what you're doing. Put those things away. Leave those for where they are supposed to be. He goes on to name some things that are sort of, you know, what, what the way of life outside of the gospel would be to some degree. Debauchery, drunkenness, Sexual immorality. Debauchery is a really fun word, by the way. I love that word. I don't love participating in it, okay? So don't get any ideas. But I think it's a good word. But he's saying, this way, this functioning, no more. There, there's these other things. But if you read all of Romans, what I love is, is this task, this call. It is not so that you just labor and so that you work hard and that you can never, you know, he's not saying don't enjoy yourselves. This letter would have been read in the midst of a feast where they would have enjoyed wine and food. They would have partaken in like really enjoyable activities. They would have been celebrating and feasting together. They wouldn't have been working. A letter like this would have been read as they gathered to celebrate the Eucharist and that they would have like broke bread and shared wine with one another and ate the best that they had that, that week, that time, that day. And so it's intention there. But it doesn't change that there is an intentionality and we need to ask ourselves as we go to do the things that we intend to do, as we set our schedules, as we set our routines, as we set our priorities to say this is what we are going to do. Because here's the cool thing. 
Today is actually the first day of the church calendar. It's not January 1st for the church. It's first Sunday in Advent. So it's a moment to kind of ask yourself, as I look both at the, the end of this calendar year and the start of this church calendar, how would I spend my time to become the thing that Christ has called me to become? How would I prioritize not just my money, but my evenings and my afternoons? And dare I even challenge you to uh, question how you would use your vacation days and how you would think through this differently in such a way that all that you do is participating in becoming more like Christ, living open and honest before him and in his work in this kingdom coming. And that's what he's saying in the end of Romans 13, verse 14. All that you do, do so that you will clothe yourself in Christ. It's a metaphor that Paul uses and the New Testament writers use again and again to say, become like him, look like him, smell like him, move like him. Be like Christ. And that's the goal of the believer. It's the goal of the church, to live like we would live, to carry that. And so we know that in Christ, we are given this great hope, this great joy in his first coming, in the first advent. We see this life that was lived that invites us to live in a different kind of way, in a different rhythm, in a different routine. And in our last series, we used this phrase a lot that I said several times, that we want to place ourselves in the way of oncoming beauty. And what I mean by that, and to expound on that and to, to tie it to this, we see the beauty of Jesus in his life and the way he lived. We see what he has done and what he is offering to us. And in the midst of all of our lives, what we ask is, what we long or what we should long to do is to place ourselves in situations and in moments and in the path of that oncoming beauty of Jesus Christ. That we would place ourselves in situations and in moments that are forced to recognize the goodness of the Lord. And even in moments of grief and heartache and difficulty, you have two choices. Jürgen Moltmann defines them this way. He says that you can hope, which is that you anticipate the coming joy, or you can give yourself to anxiety, which is the anticipation of coming fear, to terror. So what do you choose? Hope or fear? Joy or anxiety? Peace or terror? And the reality is, is he says that that is not separate from the actual experience that you're having. The actual experience you're having may be violent. It may be a violation of who you are meant to be as a human. The actual experience you are having may be traumatic. But in that, as a believer, you can choose to live in that and anticipate that it will only get worse. Or you can name and acknowledge and you can place yourself in the oncoming beauty that Jesus has promised. This anticipation of what is to come, that salvation is near and it is at hand. And you can carry yourself with hope. And that hope turns into joy, and that joy becomes an act of resistance and defiance to evil in the world. Hope and joy becomes a counter-narrative, a counter-song that is being sung in the society around us, and 
we know this well right now. It's a loud and angry and unnecessarily violent moment we find ourselves in in a lot of ways. Disagreement, frustrations, attitudes towards one another. There, there is no space for hope, for joy, for kindness. And yet the Christian call and the way to live is to step into that and to live as though there is hope. And we do it in the face of and in the moments of and in the midst of these traumas and griefs that we are well acquainted with. And this is Advent to give ourselves to these daily advents, trusting and hoping in what is to come, the ultimate universal redemption, this eschaton, the end that is to happen. And we participate in it, and we trust in it, and we find a peace and a joy in it as we anticipate what is coming and the joy and the beauty of Christ. And so on this Sunday in Advent, where our first candle that we lit recognizes and names that this is the Sunday that we focus on hope, that we as believers should give ourselves to hope. And that means that we should give ourselves to an anticipation of a joyful life, that we should give ourselves to a different way of functioning and operating a different way of living in it in that then there is this thing where we are called to be patient and to wait. I've always loved the line, uh, author, pastor out west, that he calls it the patient ferment of the people of God. That this hope, it grows, it ferments, and you cannot rush that process. Well, you can, but you have to use scientific methods and it's not as good, right? The good stuff, my sourdough people in the room, right? Like you, you got to let it ferment over time the way it's supposed to happen. You have to feed it and tend to it and care for it. And this is what hope and joy amongst the people of God is supposed to look like. It's patient. It's tedious. Kind of seems a little bit boring. And then Drew Duvall makes amazing pizza for you out of that sourdough starter that he's been going for like four years now. You get 10-year or what, however many years uh, district brew's been open that they've been like brewing beer and waiting on it patiently for to anniversary a few weeks ago, right? Just right below us. This thing that's been in a barrel. You get wine. You get, you get this idea, and this is what we, the people of God, are meant to be. We let this hope get in us in just small parts, and we hold on to it, and we feed it, and we tend to it, and we let it sit. And as we gather together and we go through these seasons and we remind ourselves of what it is and what it is meant to be, we give ourselves over to letting this hope grow among us. So as the band comes back up, we're going to move to our time of communion. And each and every Sunday in communion, we celebrate the truths and the reality of Advent in between these two moments, that Christ has come, that Christ has risen, and that Christ will come again. We celebrate the joy and the freedom and the hope that Christ has given us in his first coming. And we celebrate that we can and will become something else, something more, something different than where we are now as we meet with Christ and we come to receive the gifts that he intends to give us. And we experience it. And we ingest it. 
And we recall and we remember and we have hope for what is to come. And in that we become a different type of people that lives in a different kind of way to a different clock, to a different calendar, to a different rhythm, to a different routine. And as we do so, we become what Christ intended for us to become. And we offer that to a world and we become Christ to them. And this is what allows Christ to be present to a waiting and wanting world again and again as we, the church, hold on to that. and Let it grow and let it fester and ferment. And so as we begin this four weeks of Advent, this is what I want to invite you into. is to let hope grow. Let hope be what defines us in the midst of our circumstances and difficulties and heartaches. In the midst of our failures, let hope be the thing that we are known for as we anticipate joy in the oncoming beauty that is the full revelation of the kingdom of God and all that Christ would intend to do in and through us. So as the band plays, come, take a piece of the bread and a cup, hold on to them. We have gluten-free on this side if you're in need of that. Hold on to those elements, go back to your seat, reflect and pray as the Spirit leads, and I'll come back and I'll lead us in the reception of the one bread and the one cup. Come and receive the gifts of God for the people of God.